Welcome to my mommy's podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Bioptimizers, my go-to source for magnesium and several other great supplements. Did you know that over 80% of the population is deficient in magnesium and it's the number one mineral to fight stress, fatigue, and sleep issues? Personally, I've had some pretty stressful major life changes in the past couple of years, and I've also started lifting really heavy weights, so I've had to be more intentional about my sleep, my recovery, and about managing my stress. That's why I'm so excited to share with you this magnesium product. Magnesium is the most studied mineral in existence, powering over 600 critical reactions in our body, but not just any magnesium. The one I recommend is Magnesium Breakthrough because it combines seven essential forms of magnesium into one convenient supplement. And when you get all seven critical forms of magnesium, pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded from your brain to your sleep, pain and inflammation, and less stress. So with one simple action, you can reverse magnesium deficiency in all forms. And it has helped me so much with getting better sleep, with fighting fatigue and tiredness, with feeling less stressed even when things are stressful, with being more productive and having a lot less anxiety. And like I said, this is by far the most complete magnesium that I've ever found. And so I highly recommend you give it a try. Today, you can get 10% off with a special Wellness Mama coupon code by going to magbreakthrough.com slash wellnessmama. Make sure you use the code wellnessmama. Again, that's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H slash wellnessmama and use the coupon code wellnessmama to save 10%. This episode is brought to you by Sleep.me, formerly called Chili Sleep. You've heard me talk about them before and with good reason. Science tells us that the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering core body temperature. And temperature-controlled sleep repairs muscle after a hard day's work. It improves cognitive function, so you always start your day feeling sharp and alert. And definitely, for me, it correlates with more deep sleep. In fact, cooling my sleep environment has been the single most impactful change I've made for my sleep, and I desperately miss my cooler sleep environment when I travel. Chili Sleep makes the coldest and most comfortable sleep systems available. They create the environment that meets the body's natural need for lower core temperatures, promoting deeper, restorative sleep. Chili Sleep makes the Uller, the Cube, and the Doc Pro sleep systems, which are all water-based, temperature-controlled mattress toppers that fit over any existing mattress to provide your ideal sleep temperature. These mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep, cold sleep, and they're designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power your day. They also just launched their new Dock Pro system, which has two times more powerful cold power than other models. It's whisper quiet and has a tubeless mattress pad that allows for five times more cooling contact. You can pair it with the new Sleep.me app for enhanced device control and sleep scheduling. And I love all of these because they cool your bed not your room, which is more effective at keeping you cool while sleeping and uses less energy than, for instance, running your air conditioning really low all night. Head over to sleep.me slash wellnessmama to learn more and save 25% off the purchase of any new Cube, Uller, or Doc Pro sleep system. The offer is available exclusively for you guys, Wellness Mama listeners, and only for a limited time. So that's sleep.me, S-L-E-E-P dot M-E slash wellnessmama to take advantage of these exclusive discounts. Hello, and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. 
I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com, and I'm here today with a dear personal friend who is always a joy to interview. I'm here with Sean Stevenson, and he is an author of the best-selling books, Eat Smarter and Sleep Smarter. He's also the creator of the wildly popular podcast, The Model Health Show, and he is also a graduate of the University of Missouri in St. Louis, and he studied business biology and nutritional science and became the co-founder of Advanced Integrative Health Alliance. He's been featured all over the major media outlets and also on many, many podcasts because of his wealth of knowledge. And like me, he gets to interview fascinating people for a living. So today I was excited to hear from Sean what parts he has integrated and kept as part of his routine from all of the many, many, many health tips he gets on a daily and weekly basis. And so we talk about his 80-20 of health his minimum effective dose, his non-negotiables, and what he will compromise on. And everything from how he decides what health information to follow, his results-driven personal 80-20 of health, the reason for the disconnect between our health knowledge and our outcomes in the U.S., why so much of the stuff we are learning about health goes back to what our ancestors have known forever, his personal non-negotiables of sleep, exercise, and movement, though the specifics may surprise you, a lot of really fascinating research he goes into on sleep and movement, and it's not going to be what you think, and so much more. I always love talking to Sean. I always learn a lot. I know you will too. He's one of my favorite guests. So without any additional wait, let's join Sean Stevenson. Sean, welcome back. It is my pleasure to be here. It is always so fun to chat with you. We've gotten to do this a couple of times on both sides. You have a really popular podcast that I enjoy listening to, and it's always such a joy to talk to you. And we're going to get to get into some really fun, a little bit personal topics today. And I'm happy to talk about my side of those as well. But before we do, I have a note from your bio that you also love superhero movies, books, et cetera. And this is something I've gotten into now with my kids, but I would love to hear just a little bit about what sparked that interest for you. Wow. So I was one of those kids who went to the comic book store. You know, so I would take my little brother and we would trek. We lived in the inner city and we should not have been walking as far as we were walking, crossing, you know, four lane major streets and all the whole thing. Uh, But we would trek our way to the comic book store and they would have these little bins where they would have like 10 cent comics, you know, because a lot of the comics were very expensive. And so we'd go there, scoop up some comic books. And in particular, I actually spent you know, a little bit more money was a little bit more expensive comic. And I bought an X-Men comic and it was the Dark Phoenix saga. And it changed my life. Like I really fell in love with that genre genre when I read that comic. And then, so when they started to bring these things more to life with these big budget films, and you know this, there's this big thing of, you know, the, the movies not being as good as the books a lot of times, uh, but they really measured up. Well, obviously, you know, they're the biggest thing in the world right now. But of course, like even going back, they had like the Incredible Hulk TV show with Lou Ferrigno. And, you know, so I've always had this kind of thread and just I think it's part of us identifies with that, you know, to be superhuman. Right. And to rise to the occasion. But a big thing that's missed in these comic book stories and why they resonate is every single time you're facing a tremendous obstacle. And things will look super bleak. Oftentimes, like you're not going to win this thing because the obstacle is so great. And you've got to tap into more power, more creativity, more drive, you know, seek out wisdom, all the things in order for you to, you know, rise to the occasion and be the hero at the end of the day. So that's kind of my cohesive 
uh, connection to these things. I love that. And I feel like sometimes comic books get a bad rap, but I think of them, especially for kids in that realm of how Naval Ravikant says, read what you love until you love to read. And for a lot of kids, I feel like those are a great gateway into the imagination and the story of reading and they're a good springboard. And I also love that you mentioned the kind of becoming superhuman and rising to the occasion and, and overcoming the obstacle, because those are such great lessons for kids and also something you've personally done in your life, it seems like over and over and continue to just do. And that's actually something I'm really excited to delve into you with you today. I know you've written extensively about sleep. You've written extensively about nutrition and you've helped so many people in both of those realms. And like me, you get to, as a job, hear from some of the most amazing experts in the world on a weekly basis. And I feel like sometimes we get so much information. It's impossible to do everything that there is to do that we know to do. And I hear that from my audience now too, of like, how do you possibly do all of this? And I know my answer is I don't, at least not every day, but I am curious to hear your personal take on that. Maybe let's start broad with what are your 80-20s of all the health knowledge that you have? What are the things that you feel like give you the biggest result for the effort given? I love this question so much, you know, and of course we see this and I know many people have felt this way. It's just like, oh, another thing I need to do? or another thing I can't do, or that's bad for me, you know? And I think it's really for, for our society at large to understand like the way that we're living our lives today is so abnormal. It's so different from the way that we evolved. And our biology simply has not caught up to our exposures right now. And so you're going to keep finding out about things that are unknowingly harming us. Most of us, even right now in this moment, we're breathing in kind of processed air, you know, being in quote indoors. The way that we evolved, we didn't have it indoors or outdoors. We did have shelter, of course, but we were cohesive with nature, you know, and as everything else in the animal kingdom is, except us and then our animals that we domesticate and bring indoors, it isn't an indoor outdoor thing. Even if you think about beavers, for example, I don't know why beavers is jumping top of mind, but you know, of build, they build stuff, you know? And when a beaver builds a dam, we don't say that dam is like beaver stuff. It's still a part of nature, right? Humans, when we build stuff, it's still a part of nature. It might be very abnormal and strange and weird the way that we do stuff, but we are a part of nature and the stuff that we build is also thus a part of nature, all right? Now, the good or bad conversation, that's for another day, but it's just remembering again, we're still trying to figure this stuff out and to find some harmony with it. Because right now what we're experiencing as a society is a lot of disharmony and dysfunction, right? So if we look at, I'm a, and I implore everybody to, to just tap into this part of their psyche, but I tend to be a very results oriented person. I don't usually have a dog in the fight. I don't really care. I just care about the results, right? So, because I'm logical and just like, let's look at the outcomes. Have the things we've been doing the past few decades as a society been working, right? We have incredible innovation and in technology and even in medicine in many ways in our understanding of the human body, but yet the way that we've been enacting or implementing things to treat these various things hasn't been working. And if you look at the numbers here in the United States right now, we have over 200 million of our citizens are overweight or obese right now. We have over 130 million United States citizens have type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes right now. About 60% of our citizens have some degree of heart disease right now at this very moment. On average, 
you know, just again, any given year, right now, a lot of things people don't realize, like Alzheimer's disease is creeping its way into the top five causes of death here in the United States, right? And so still managing heart disease, cancer, diabetes, but obesity plays such a big role in the vast majority of the top 10 causes of death, you know, so di- uh, obesity and, you know, abnormal blood sugar, blood sugar dysregulation. So the way that we're living our lives is not working. But on top of that, the way that we're treating these things is not working because it just keeps getting worse. All the innovation, all the new drugs coming out on the market every year, these things are continuing to get worse. So we got to take a step back and say, hey, I know that we're smart. We're a smart species, right? We're, we're very creative. We're innovative, all the things. But have we been addressing these things the wrong way? And so- All of that to say, that's kind of the caveat before I share this, that we've got to be at peace with us finding out, oh, wow, the sunscreen I've been using has carcinogens in it. It's probably this is not going to stop because we've swung so far in one direction where we have a system of healthcare, of lifestyle that has negated the fact that all of these new things that we've been integrating into our lives are so toxic. Right. And, you know, obviously, I'm sure you, of course, talk a lot about that uh, because of the work that you do in providing better quality products. Right. So with that said, we've got that part. But then we've got the oh, my gosh, there's another thing I've got to do. The things that we've got to do that we find out about are things our ancestors have been doing forever. It's just that right now, a lot more time could be taken up with Netflix or a lot more time could be taken up with fill in the blank. We've got so much stuff going on that we're not giving ourselves the biological inputs that our genes expect of us. All right, so what are my non-negotiables? What are those things? Well, again, just being very practical. What's the simple, easy on-ramp, right? So for me, it's focusing on getting high-quality sleep because our sleep is a major controller of so much about our our hormone expression, our, our physical appearance. I just did a show last week looking at how sleep affects our expression of beauty, right? But beauty in the sense of like what what we typically monitor for, like fine lines and wrinkles, blemishes, all that stuff. And so just two nights of poor quality sleep, I'm sorry, it was six nights of poor quality sleep in this particular study led to an increase in fine line, fine lines and wrinkles upwards of like 40% just over the course of six days, all right, of short sleep. So this is fit folks getting less than six hours of sleep per night like a 20% increase in, in blemishes and redness and all these things, basically accelerated aging of our skin. And we have this moniker and culture like, quote, beauty sleep, but no, tr- for real, like our sleep is regulating so much about our hormones, neurotransmitters, our gut health. All of these things are going to show up on our face. Our face is the outermost portion of our nervous system, right? So we've got that, you know, focusing on sleep for that, our metabolic health, sleep is the primary controller period, end of story. You and I both just finished a workout, not together at this time, but we'll, we'll do that eventually. But we just finished a workout. But we both know that exercise is a much smaller component. People would be shocked to know how little we exercise because we're focusing on getting good sleep and our nutrition. All right. Our, our genes expect us to move. Absolutely. But again, it's become like more of a supplement. We And we can get to this in a moment, but the bottom line is sleep is the heavy mover. It's such a big weight in controlling this. Even our results from exercise are coming primarily when we sleep. All right. So with that said, that's the non-negotiable for me. You said, 
you know, 80, 20, there are going to be circumstances. Of course, like my wife just threw me this surprise birthday party, which I hate surprises. I know. I don't think many people like surprises that they accept surprises that they want, that they want, you know, like life, if life throws you a surprise, usually it's a problem, right? And you got to try to figure it out. So I was very uncomfortable with the whole thing when I was walking up to this strange door and, uh, but it was a wonderful experience, you know, but that night didn't sleep very much. Well, I did. I, I got like six or seven hours of sleep, but you know, it was much later than I normally would go to sleep. But 98% of the time I'm focusing on getting great sleep and having a consistent routine. And for that, this leads into the next one, which would be the lead in sentence is a great night of sleep starts the moment you wake up in the morning. All right. A great night of sleep starts the moment you wake up in the morning. So helping your circadian rhythms, your, and when I say circadian rhythms, this isn't some theoretical thing, right? Because back in the day, like when I was in my university, if I would hear some, a word like that, I would think it was very like, like a soft science, right? Circadian rhythm, huh? Rhythm. We have rhythms, right? It just doesn't really sound real. But now today we know that, and this is, there's great work coming out of the Salk Institute, for example, but the, our, our circadian clocks within all of the cells in our bodies, not to mention our bacteria cells, these are essentially genes. These are functional genes and proteins that control every other gene and protein in our bodies. All right. So when we say biological clock, we're talking about real tangible things that are controlling our health outcomes. So knowing that our biological clocks are controlling so much about us, how do we help to keep these things in rhythm? Well, one of those things is, and a lot of neuroscientists have been coming out and talking about this. This was featured in my book, Sleep Smarter, you know, back in 2016 and even the earlier uh, incantation of it, like 2015, 2014, I've been talking about this for quite some time, but getting exposure to sunlight in the earlier part of the day helps to sync up these circadian rhythms, your circadian clock. And this is because this is what we evolved doing. Our genes, our biological clocks are using the primary cues in our environment to sync up these clocks with all of nature because our clocks are linked up to the 24-hour solar day. So we're talking about our, our bodies are lined up with what's happening in the solar system, not just here in our little worlds and our little crevice here, a little, little corner of the world, right? It's so much bigger than that. We're connected to all of it, but we can kind of hide out from it. And so light is a primary cue and when and how much we eat is another primary cue noted again and again and again in the most recent peer-reviewed data. So uh, innovations in clinical neuroscience found that getting exposure to early morning sunlight helps to lower your cortisol in the evening. All right. So cortisol, if there's an antithesis or a um, kind of anti-sleep hormone, it would be cortisol. All right. When cortisol levels are too high in the evening, like when I used to have folks get a hormone panel done, we can see if we, you know, we can do long-term kind of consistent through the day hormone reads, the cortisol will be too high in the evening and it would be too low in the morning, causing them to have a hard time to get out of bed. So, all right. We call them tired and wired. And so to help to reset that cortisol rhythm, getting up, getting sun exposure was one of those things that was Noted again and again to help in the peer review data, but also I saw it, saw it practically in people's lives that I was working with. And in addition to that, uh, just this is a side note, but this is not a non-negotiable for me, was having some caffeine. 
in the early, like literally within the first two hours of getting up in the morning helps to kind of, it's a superficial punch, you know, to get that cortisol up, but it can help things to reset. We just don't want to use that as a kind of a handicap, right? And just be so reliant upon it. So those are a couple of non-negotiables for me, focusing on getting a great night of sleep, getting up, getting some early morning sun exposure. And I'll share one more. And we could, of course, we could talk about a couple of others, but a lot of people are very much aware of this one that I'm going to talk about because it's tangible, right? We see it in our culture. Sleep is very weird. It's a very weird thing. So it still hasn't become deeply ingrained in our culture as like, this is really good for you. The people that know, know, right? But exercise is one of those things where we see, you know, there's gyms everywhere. We see the commercials, you know, and it's been a part of our culture for decades, right? So even going back to like the earlier franchise gyms, like, you know, Vic Penny and all these other places, but now they've, they've got abundance of gym franchises, you know, the kind of commercial gyms. And also so many people have their own personalized kind of box gym or, you know, their own brand. So we know how important it is. And we see the kind of before and afters. Oftentimes what's even on popular social media and stuff like that is people doing people's training programs, right? And so we have this visual cue to know that it's good for us. But what is left out of the equation is again, how much sleep and nutrition are the real big movers with these transformations and especially long-term transformations. With that said, our genes expect us to move. So every day, non-negotiable, I'm doing something physical. Now, the day after that birthday party, that surprise party, I'm not gonna go and hit the gym and do my usual workout where today I was just bench pressing. I'm, just, I'm gonna pat myself on the back. It's been a while, but I, 315. All right, 315 pounds. All right. No, this was a it was a hammer press machine, by the way. So it was all the weight was loaded. I was sitting. Uh, anyway, so I'm not going to do that the day after my sleep is being so disrupted. But what I will do is let me go for a 30 minute hike or a 30 minute walk, right, while getting some sunlight, so my body can start to get synced back up again, right. So I'm going to do something physical because my genes expect me to do that, and it's all these biological cues, so I recover faster. And I can get back to my normal routine uh, as soon as possible. But do something physical every day, whether it's, again, just going for a walk is so nourishing. That's nutritious movement, as my friend Katie Bowman says. And, you know, of course, getting some strength training in a few times a week. You would be shocked at how little you need to do to see some serious, serious physical transformations. So those are my non-negotiables. I love that. And so many valuable things that you just said in there. I think obviously you've talked so much about sleep. I'll make sure I link to our podcast about that and all the other ones that you've done for people to keep learning because you get really specific and nuanced with this. But I 100% agree with you. If your sleep is not on point, it will make everything else, your nutrition more difficult. It will make your fitness much more difficult. It will mess up your hormones to the degree that now, like I use sleep as a guide as well. If I don't get good sleep, I'm not going to go do a heavy workout. I'm not even going to push myself hard that day. I'm going to recover. I'm going to hydrate. I'm going to get sunlight and do gentle movements. And in fact, in my recovery from autoimmune disease, the vast majority of that time, I was only doing gentle movements until my body was ready to handle more. But I love that you mentioned that we're probably doing less than people think because we both finished. I, this was my hard workout of the week. It only lasted 35 minutes. I moved some really heavy weights for short amounts of time and did explosive stuff. And I think there's this misconception, especially for women, that it's like more is better, lots of cardio, 
Like go get on the Stairmaster for an hour. And I've seen panels and that wrecks your hormones or it can. Some women can handle it, no problem. But I would love just a little bit more detail on what you do. I know you and your wife work out together as well quite often, but what you do, what she does, that's kind of the minimum effective dose. Because it seems to me that there's kind of this dichotomy between people like not training at all and then vastly overtraining. And it's hard to kind of get that sweet spot. Absolutely. And by the way, just on something you just mentioned, with our satiety hormones and stuff like that from sleep deprivation. I just want to share a quick study just because I just talked about this the other day. This was a randomized crossover study. All right. I love studies like this where they have both sets of participants doing both things. Right. And so this was healthy adult test subjects. This was published in the Annals of Internal Medicine. And they found that just two days of restricted sleep where they basically took a few hours of their sleep away. Right. So Again, maybe it's ideal to get eight hours sleep, so they're making them get less than six. And then in two other days, they were allowed to get adequate sleep to see what would happen with their hunger and satiety hormones. After compiling the data, the the participants were, again, when they were sleep deprived, here's what happened. Their levels of leptin, our body's primary satiety hormone, dropped by 18%, right? Just two days. So what's going to happen? Going to be hungrier. Match that with the body's, one of its primary hunger hormones, ghrelin, increased by 28%. So now we're starting to create a little bit of a, of a brew, a little bit of a gumbo of having stronger cravings. Feelings of hunger, so subjectively, increased by 24%. So they were feeling what was happening biochemically, and their appetite increased by 23%. Now, specifically, their appetite for calorie-dense, high-carbohydrate foods increase by upwards of 45%. All right. So what are we going to turn to when we're tired? The muffins look way better when we're sleep deprived. All right. So the things that we already knew, now we have peer-reviewed evidence to support what is obvious if we pay attention to how we live our lives. So I just wanted to share that, throw that in there real quick. Now with this exercise paradigm, it's just, it, again, if we look at, if we simply look at the results in our lives, we can turn this whole thing on its head and get ourselves aligned with what's actually effective. So often, I worked in a university gym for many years. When I was in college and also after I graduated, I continued to work there as a strength conditioning coach. I would see the people that would come and do the cardio. I saw it. They never really got where they wanted to go. I mean, literally, you seem like they're traveling so far, so many steps, so many strides, but yet they were going nowhere. All right. Now, this isn't going to be true for everybody, as you mentioned, but it really, if we look at what our genes expect of us, the human body is very, very good, especially with the exercise input at adapting its caloric expenditure. But that's the problem. We see things through the lens of calorie expenditure and our entire system of nutrition and really even exercise is still predicated on this. And as you know, Katie, in my book, Eat Smarter, I broke down the calorie paradigm like nobody has before. I went back to the actual origin of when did calories become a part of science and took people through that history, right? And also I shared data on, we would say things like, not all calories are created equal. The qualities of the calories matter, right? So those were ideas that we saw on the surface is probably true that, you know, hundred calories of Cheetos is gonna affect you very differently than hundred calories of avocado, right? But now I had peer-reviewed data to support that, and I just stacked it, stack, 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 stack. So we have these epicaloric controllers. 
that are really controlling what calories do in our bodies. And so, but still, because the vast majority of our society has been indoctrinated into this calorie religion, not to say again, calories have their place, but your body is far more complex and intelligent than our micromanaging of calories that are can be widely different from person to person. We're talking about expenditures of hundreds and hundreds of more calories with two people doing the same thing or the body retaining and holding on to hundreds and hundreds of more calories by people doing the same thing. All right. It just depends on person to person. So one of those great misconceptions are these cardiovascular based machines, right? We've got the monitors telling you how many calories you're burning. Your biochemistry can be radically different than your best friend, again, right there next to you on the treadmill. All right. And so your calorie expenditure, those things are so, I mean, they, I, I don't want to, I'm just going to say it, they lie. These machines are lying to you. They're lying to you. For most people, it's not going to be, it can be a, a somewhat in the ballpark, but for most, most people, it can really, really throw off what you perceive your perceived exertion versus what this thing is telling you. And so let me give you a little bit of proof. If we look at, for example, we have this paradigm of like, we think that we're, you know, when we're losing fat, I'm trying to give a visual cue is sweating, right? So we like, we see sweating is like, you're really working hard. It's like the, your fat cells are having a good breakup cry, right? It's just coming out through your skin. And sweating is great. It's important. Our skin is a major detoxification organ. Yes. But the vast majority of weight that we lose is not through sweat. That's a tiny percent. We're talking about in less than 5% range. The majority of fat that we expel from our bodies is through breathing. We're breathing it out. You know, our lungs are an eliminatory organ as well. In Eat Smart, of course, I take people through that biochemistry of like, where does fat go when you lose it? How does that process happen? And, but this doesn't mean by breathing faster or harder, you're suddenly breathing out more fat. It's all of the physiological and biochemical steps that happen beforehand that make that excretion possible. And that cannot be tampered up very much on a treadmill because it's temporary. And let me say this one more time. It's not that we can't use a treadmill or that it can, can't be beneficial. It's that our society is so hell-bent on using these cardiovascular devices to, to burn calories, right? And you are burning calories, yes. However, what are you programming your metabolism to do? What are you, what, what kind of feedback, environmental feedback are you giving your metabolism? Because through our evolution, if we are going these long bouts of exertion, right? This kind of, maybe our bio, you know, our biology is like, this person is tracking, you know, the, an animal. They might not be very good at it because like, I'm still going at this pace and nothing is really changing. Or maybe something is chasing you. Something is chasing this person. We keep running. We're running and running and running. Will we ever get away? We've got to switch gears and allow this person to have a more sustainable fuel source. And so what the data shows again and again, and there are wonderful books like The One Minute Workout, for example. Now that's again, it's kind of a marketing. And I know the author of the book, and he's a brilliant scientist, professor, all the things. 
but he was against, it was Dr. Martin Gabala. He was against putting a one minute workout because it's his marketing thing. But that's the thing. Humans, oftentimes we won't even be interested in it if it doesn't sound super, you know, like by now here, you know, lose fat overnight, this kind of thing. But he's breaking down in the book, the efficiency scene with doing high intensity interval training, for example, really more uh, power driven, more strength driven movements, short, intense bouts versus conventional cardio done on, you know, a stationary bike is one of his primary tools. And it was shocking just how much doing short bouts of muscle intensive movements outperformed long duration cardio that even him, again, it has its place. But if we're talking about efficiency for healthy metabolism, for for fat loss, for retaining our muscle mass, because what happens is when we're doing that long duration cardio and your biology is like, we've got to save, we've got to save Sean, or we got to save Katie. They've been running for 40 minutes and eventually this tiger is going to track them down. Let's shift gears because our muscle isn't going to be needed if he can't keep running. So fat is going to be something that we could siphon from a little bit longer, right? And so this is a very catabolic form of exercise that tends to just burn off or or kind of tear away our muscle, our muscle mass. And this is, again, I'm going to give everybody another result. If you just look at athletes who specialize in long distance running versus those who are doing short duration, higher intensive movements, right? The hundred meter sprinters versus the folks who are doing, you know, the, the mile run or, you know, and, or the, the longer races, right? The marathon runners. So if you want to look like a marathon runner, do that. If you don't, because I know many of my friends, like I've de- dedicated getting in the best shape of my life this, this year. I signed up to run a marathon. Oh my gosh. And so they train and they do the thing and they, Hey, they accomplished something they never thought they could do. Wonderful. But that should just be for your psychology to get in shape. Nine out of 10 of them. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. They go backwards. They do the whole training. They, again, they might lose weight, but then they gain it back and then some, and then, you know, eventually they'll ask me like, Sean, what do you, what do you think? So I just said so much there, but to consolidate all of it in one minute, cardiovascular based exercise is great for cardiovascular health. It is not, this is proven in the very best clinical data. It is not efficient for fat loss. Okay. Weight loss. Again, it's different from fat loss. And so to protect our metabolic health and to protect our muscle, if we sh- simply shift a percentage of that focus to doing strength-based work and or higher intensity, short duration work and decrease the percentage of this kind of long duration cardiovascular, moderate intensity that we're doing. And if you want, again, if you have this space for cardio and you just really are attracted to it, great. But also if you want, if you have time to fill it, because we can't strength train very long, it's hard. We can't do short intensity, you know, interval training. It's too hard. If you have a gap in the time and you want to do a little bit more, walk. That is the number one form of exercise that we're designed to do as a human species. We're bipedal. We walk. It's what we do. It's our thing. And our genes expect us to do that. And there's really something 
very interesting that most people don't realize it happens when you're walking versus when you're doing other forms of exercise. Really, science overall is still trying to unpack why this is, but usually when we're trying to burn fat, our bodies go through this kind of hierarchy of fuel use, all right? So it's going to, it's, it's, it reminds me of my accounting class in college, all right? In college, we had LIFO-FIFO, right? Last in, first out, first in, first out, all right? So it's kind of like what would be done at a store, right? What kind of stuff they're putting out on the shelves. So last in, first out means when our bodies are looking for fuel to manage and do processes in our body, the last thing we put in is easy access, right? So if we just ate something and those calories are available, caloric energy, again, we can use that label here. It's going to use that first. It's easier versus breaking down stored muscle glycogen, right? Breaking down stored energy in your fat cells. That takes more work and your body is all about efficiency. So it's going to use last in, first out. It's going to use the last thing that came in, easily accessible calories. So it's going to go from there. Then it's going to go to glucose, right? So just if there's glucose roaming free in your bloodstream, then it's going to go to stored glycogen, your muscle glycogen, your liver glycogen. Then it's going to break down stored body fat, all right? So it's kind of going through this hierarchy and it takes a lot of work to try to get through. So glucose, and I love this analogy from uh, my friend, Dr. Sylvia Tara, a biochemist. And she says that that glucose from the food we just ate is like cash on hand, right? Then the glycogen from our muscles and liver, that's sort of like a checking account, right? We could still, we could, it takes a little time to write a check, right? If you remember being in line, you know, the older person is writing their checkout, whatever, you know, and then we become that older person writing checkout. But now, of course, it's different now to where we don't, a lot of people aren't writing checks. But then to get to the stored body fat, that's like dipping into our savings account. It usually takes more work, right? We've got to go, again, stuff has changed now to transfer funds and that whole thing. But usually you've got to take an extra step or two to be able to access your savings account. And so now here's why I'm sharing all this. Through exercise, the same thing. If we're going to the gym and we're doing, and we're getting on the treadmill, we're going to burn through our glucose cash first, checking, then we're going to get to burning some stored body fat, right? And they even have that. Like it would be up at the gyms, like get to your fat burning zone. Take some time to get there. Why? Why can't it just start burning fat? Walking, not intense walking, leisurely walking for whatever reason bypasses that system and uses stored body fat. Now, it's not 100% of the case, but it's one of those interesting hacks. And I just from my, my theory on it is, if you're just leisurely walking, it's, it's, more, it's tapping more into kind of a sympathetic thing. It's getting your body out of this fight or flight intense state that it's in, that we're getting with basically any form of kind of exertion, right? And you're just, if you're leisurely walking, it's just like, oh, I could, let me just go ahead and tap in and use this source of fuel and just keep that other stuff or anything intense. All right. So little fun fact there. This is why walking can be so valuable, but that's the essential recipe would be two to three times of lifting per week, one to two intense, high intensity interval training and walk as much as you want. You know, it's a buffet on walking 
you know, maybe I, my barometer, my bar is walking for 20 minutes a day at least. I love that. I think it's one of the most underestimated tips. You know, everyone wants to like jump on the treadmill and run because it feels like they're doing more. But to your point, there's so much data showing walking is by far one of the best movements we can do as humans. And as a mom, I love to just go on a walk with one of my kids, a different kid each day. And I feel like totally unrelated to just the fitness side, but that's a great parenting tip is if you're both walking in the same direction, they're way more willing to talk to you about things than if you're like sitting face to face and they feel the pressure. So those are some of our best conversations, but so many gems in what you just said. I think the idea of getting away from calories and looking at nutrient density, like you explained so well in Eat Smarter, is so important. I think in the diet culture of the last few decades, we lost that understanding of nutrient density. And I've seen people go on this low calorie focused high protein, which protein is great, but high protein, low calorie kind of focus, and then they're not getting enough nutrients. So they might still be maintaining muscle, but they're undernourished when it comes to micronutrients and fat soluble vitamins and so many other things. This podcast is sponsored by Bioptimizers, my go-to source for magnesium and several other great supplements. Did you know that over 80% of the population is deficient in magnesium and it's the number one mineral to fight stress, fatigue, and sleep issues? Personally, I've had some pretty stressful major life changes in the past couple of years, and I've also started lifting really heavy weights, so I've had to be more intentional about my sleep, my recovery, and about managing my stress. That's why I'm so excited to share with you this magnesium product. Magnesium is the most studied mineral in existence, powering over 600 critical reactions in our body, but not just any magnesium. The one I recommend is Magnesium Breakthrough because it combines seven essential forms of magnesium into one convenient supplement. And when you get all seven critical forms of magnesium, pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded from your brain to your sleep, pain and inflammation, and less stress. So with one simple action, you can reverse magnesium deficiency in all forms. And it has helped me so much with getting better sleep, with fighting fatigue and tiredness, with feeling less stressed even when things are stressful, with being more productive and having a lot less anxiety. And like I said, this is by far the most complete magnesium that I've ever found. And so I highly recommend you give it a try. Today, you can get 10% off with a special Wellness Mama coupon code by going to magbreakthrough.com slash wellnessmama. Make sure to use the code wellnessmama. Again, that's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H slash wellnessmama and use the coupon code wellnessmama to save 10%. This episode is brought to you by Sleep.me, formerly called Chili Sleep. You've heard me talk about them before and with good reason. Science tells us that the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering core body temperature. And temperature-controlled sleep repairs muscle after a hard day's work. It improves cognitive function, so you always start your day feeling sharp and alert. And definitely, for me, it correlates with more deep sleep. In fact, cooling my sleep environment has been the single most impactful change I've made for my sleep, and I desperately miss my cooler sleep environment when I travel. Chili Sleep makes the coldest and most comfortable sleep systems available. They create the environment that meets the body's natural need for lower core temperatures, promoting deeper, restorative sleep. Chili Sleep makes the Uller, the Cube, and the Doc Pro sleep systems, which are all water-based, temperature-controlled mattress toppers that fit over any existing mattress to provide your ideal sleep temperature. These mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep, cold sleep, and they're designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power your day. They also just launched their new Dock Pro system, which has two times more powerful cold power than other models. It's whisper quiet and has a tubeless mattress pad that allows for five times more cooling contact. 
you can pair it with the new sleep.me app for enhanced device control and sleep scheduling. And I love all of these because they cool your bed, not your room, which is more effective at keeping you cool while sleeping and uses less energy than for instance, running your air conditioning really low all night. Head over to sleep.me slash wellness mama to learn more and save 25% off the purchase of any new cube, Uller, or Doc Pro sleep system. The offer is available exclusively for you guys, Wellness Mama listeners, and only for a limited time. So that's sleep.me, S L E E P dot M E slash Wellness Mama to take advantage of these exclusive discounts. And also, your point about the high intensity and the sprinting and those things contribute to muscle mass, which also means you're going to burn more at rest even while you're sleeping, you're going to be able to burn more, which means not only are you going to be able to, but you're going to need to eat more. That was an interesting thing for me when I started incorporating really heavy strength training and sprinting a couple of times a week is I started hitting plateaus and I realized for the first time in my life, it was because I wasn't eating enough, which is another thing I think some women are learning right now is if you under eat, your body will plateau out of survival. And so now I'm having to be conscious to eat enough food, but yeah, so many great things in what you just said. I'm curious if you have any supplements, obviously with the caveat that supplementation is a very personalized, individualized thing, but I'm curious if there are any that you turn to often or that seem to work really well for you. Another great question. Uh, When I started off in this field, I'm almost at my 20th year anniversary of being in health and wellness. I started off definitely being, because what tends to happen is if you're aware of our pitfalls in conventional healthcare and medicine, wellness, we have a heavy reliance on treating symptoms, right? So we're looking for, and this is the thing when we're in pain, when we, and also when we're not educated about our bodies, we're looking for that thing to just help us, right? Give me the pill. And what can tend to happen is when you become aware of the importance of nutrition and that the food that you're eating And the nutrition you're bringing in is literally making your cells, making your hormones, making your neurons. It's all made from food. What can happen is this other pitfall of like trading in synthetic drugs for quote natural pills and herbs and all these things and still having this kind of pill for every ill mentality. Not to say that our supplements are not remarkably valuable. It's just that when we have this heavy reliance on trying to make supplement, things that should supplement an already healthy diet, the tip of the spear, that's when we can have some problems. And I definitely, I was that guy. So I was buying all, I had a cabinet full of, you know, all these pills. And, you know, over the years, I've had less and less and less supplements that I use regularly. And you get to this place where you're really in tune with your body and you start to just know like, yeah, this is a good spot. Like, I feel like this is something I've got a little bit of inflammation. Let me go ahead and do, you know, turmeric or whatever. You'll start to know what you need and you just kind of get a feel for stuff. But a couple of things that are so important and so deficient in our diet, one of the things is uh, omega-3s, period. Like, it's so important. And because it's responsible for so much, especially with our brain, it's a place that I would generally recommend everybody supplement. And one of the most glaring studies that I shared in Eat Smarter was these neuroscientists, they use fMRIs to look at the brain and look at people's omega-3 intake, right? So DHA and EPA. And they found that people who had the lowest intake of, of DHA and EPA had the highest rate of brain shrinkage, right? This is terrible. The actual physical construct of your brain shrinking not a volume thing necessarily like from dehydration, which that can happen, by the way, 
but we're talking about the structural makeup of your brain because these omega-3s are used there as structural fats, not just things that are used as energy, right? Well, like ALA can be used as an energy source, but these are used to make your brain cells, right? Or to, to, um, to, to reinforce them because we're not just out here haphazardly making brain cells, by the way, that's a very complex subject. And we know different now in the last, really the last decade, we've been more solid on this because even when I was in school, you know, 20 years ago, we were really just kind of impressed upon this idea that you just lose brain cells when you hit about, you know, 20, between 20 and 25, it's just downhill from there. We don't make new brain cells. Well, we know that we definitely make new brain cells. We have neurogenesis in the hippocampus for sure. And we've got some other data coming forward with other areas of the brain as well. But our brain cells in general, we have to keep them alive. We have to keep them healthy. And these omega-3s are reinforcements to help them to stay healthy and to be regenerative. And so they help with signal transduction, for example, like our brain cells being able to send data back and forth, that kind of uh, currency, that currency exchange that happens. The list goes on and on. So with that said, food first, though. Food first. The Journal of Neurology found, you know, they published this study that just one seafood meal per week, test subjects who were consuming just one seafood meal per week did in fact perform better on cognitive skills tests versus people who consumed less than one seafood meal per week. So I recommend one to two a week, right? Particularly again, seafood and or other foods that have a rich source of DHA and or EPA. So it's going to be fatty fish like salmon and mackerel, sardines. But one of my fr friends who's a neuroscientist out of uh, NYU, and I love it because she's, again, she's looking at the brain to see the impact of some of these nutrients. She informed me very early on that fish eggs are far more rich in omega-3s than the fish itself, right? So caviar, salmon, roe, which for me is outside my paradigm. I, what Caviar sounded so foreign to me, right? Coming from where I come from. And, but then it's just like, wow, you know, looking at the data was remarkable and grass-fed beef, we could find some omega-3s, uh, egg yolks. There are many great sources, but again, these are coming from animal-based omega-3s. It's different from the plant form, which in, in my clinical practice, I would tell everybody coming in like, oh yeah, get your flaxseed oil and all these things. I was really missing the point because it's different. It's ALA. It's not the same. Uh, that plant version is not what's used to, to, to reinforce your brain cells. So not to say that it can't be valuable, by the way, chia seeds and hemp seeds and flax seeds, that stuff is great in its place, in its proper perspective. And your body can convert some of that ALA into DHA and EPA, but the conversion process is going to depend on your unique metabolic fingerprint, your unique microbial fingerprint. You could lose upwards of 90% in that conversion process and barely get anything that your brain really needs. So it's just not efficient. So if you're doing a plant-based protocol, you're not going to be left out here. Okay. Well, wellness mama is going to be inclusive. So we've got food first, animal-based foods. Then we've got krill oil. Most studies on omega-3s, by the way, the vast majority are done on fish oil. It's just, it is what it is. There's a lot of controversy around it. But if you look at the peer-reviewed data, it is clear, especially for your cognitive function, these omega-3s in the form of fish oil are important, but you got to be careful of the quality, right? Krill oil is a microscopic shrimp, right? But the word shrimp can throw people off and they miss the word microscopic, microscopic, you know? So people who are concerned about that, you're going to be gobbling up sentient beings just licking the air, 
You know what I mean? So just keep that in mind. Uh, it's rich in astaxanthin as well. So that tiny amount of krill is going to be protected and more bioavailable potentially. Lastly, if you want to go full on, make sure that it's plant-based as much as possible, but even still some sentient stuff is going to make its way through. Get yourself an algae oil. Right, so algae oil at minimum, but here's the rub. And I'm just, I'm going to tell you the truth. We don't have peer reviewed data on the effectiveness on of algae oil stacking up against krill oil, which has, there is some peer reviewed data on krill oil now and fish, fish oil. Not to say that it doesn't, we know that it's there. We know that the DHA and EPA is there. We just don't have clinical evidence as to its efficiency and efficacy as of yet, but don't wait on that. Get yourself some algae oil at minimum. Awesome. And as it always does, our time flies by. I could talk to you all day and hopefully we'll get to have more conversations soon. But a couple quick wrap-up questions I love to ask. The first being, if there is a book or number of books that have profoundly influenced your life, and if so, what they are and why. Cool. I'll just share one. There's there's many, and as you know, it can be different phases of your life. But one that has really put me in this place that I'm at right now, that's really special, it's actually is an audio book. Uh, specifically, it's called the Life Visioning Process. It's from Michael Beckwith, and you know I listened to this audio book, audio program when I was living in Ferguson, Missouri. Actually, Fer- Florissant, Missouri is like a little bit better area, but I was working in this space. I was very passionate about service. I was helping so many people, but I didn't know how to put all these pieces together. And just that clarity that was gained from that, just by having introspection, by getting clear on my my intentions and what I wanted and what I wanted to create. So often we're getting so much randomness in our life because we're not clear and our brains are so powerful. You know, we have instinctive elaboration. It's just automatic cognitive faculty to answer any question that we pose our brain. The human mind is obsessed with answering questions, but if you're not asking the right questions, right? If you're asking disempowering questions, it's going to keep sending you down roads that you might not necessarily want to go on your way to your goal. So Here's the thing, and I'm just going to share this result with you. This was so remarkable for me because not only did I massively surpass the vision that I had for my life and for the impact that I had, but the author of the life visioning process is one of my best friends now. And I had no idea, like millions of people are vying for his time and I'm not exaggerating in the slightest. And the way that we met was so weird. It was my first time I was speaking at an event in Europe. In Portugal, I never been to Europe. I'm from Ferguson, Missouri. I I just felt like the most out of place human being in this spot. But we met. Not only did we not meet here in the United States, where he where he's based as well, we ended up meeting at this kind of synchronous event in Portugal, and we met there. And like ever since, we've been in each other's lives. And you know, again, this was a bonus to my time, you know, spending with him that he ended up showing up in my life as well as part of that visioning process. That's an amazing story. And that's a new recommendation. So I will make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. Lastly, any parting advice? You've given so much great advice today. And I think your results-driven approach and your focus on simplicity is often better um, really resonates with me personally. But any other advice could be related to everything we've talked about or entirely unrelated. Perfect. Yeah. I would just lean into that simple advice of just doing something active every day, right? Feed your, feed your body, feed your spirit. The best form of exercise is the form of exercise that you'll actually do. That's the very best people. We could sit up here and throw all this science around and what you should do. 
but do the thing that you feel good about, that you're attracted to. Maybe it's playing ping pong. Maybe it's playing, you know, badminton. You know, they got, we just ordered some shuttlecocks, the worst name for a, you know, a sports device or tool. But anyways, so we've got that. You've got roller skating. You, maybe you love to jog. Maybe it's cycling. Maybe it's just going for a leisurely walk. Katie shared probably the most profound thing on this episode, which is that time with your kid. I want to second and third that so much because, you know, when I go for a walk with my kids, and it's usually one or the other, but it's most of the time it's my youngest son. Man, we spend so much time together. I know so much about him and so much connection just from going on these walks. And, you know, something that's a regular part. Same thing with my wife. If I can get her to go for a walk with me amidst her, you know, whatever she's doing, but just lining that up, like it's just it's such a bonding and, and health, healthful experience. So that's what I would in, implore everybody to lean into a little bit more. It's just doing something, anything active each day. Perfect place to wrap up. Sean, always such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure, Katie. Thank you. I appreciate you. And thanks to all of you, as always, for listening and sharing your most valuable resources, your time, your energy, and your attention with us today. We're both so grateful that you did. And I hope that you will join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time. And thanks as always for listening.